Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good morning, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Jeff Wagner in for Steve Scafidi. I'll be with you till 1230 today. So how did this happen? Well, I'm just kind of peeling back the curtain a little bit. Uh, There are, and during the course of the baseball season, there are a number of games that are home games that are start in the afternoon. They start about like 110. That's what's going to happen today. And so our pregame coverage starts around 1230. So historically, I have come in and done my show, which normally runs from noon until three. I, I've done like a half hour version of that. And this year, our assistant program director, Mike, or assistant news director, Mike Spaulding. No, he is the assistant program director now. Um, he said, hey, I've got an idea. Why don't why don't on those days where there's an early baseball game, how about if we just ask Steve Scafidi to do an extra half hour so you can just have the, the whole day off? You don't have to come in. Well, okay, I don't have moron tattooed across my forehead. My response was, absolutely, sounds great. But then I got to thinking, you, you want to be fair to your teammates. And I said, well, okay, if Steve's going to on multiple days work an extra couple, you know, work an extra half hour or so so I can have off, tell you what, I'll say, Steve, you— you just take an extra day. I'll come in and do your show to kind of make up for it. So that's what today is. Um, we're kind of like doing a little bit of payback and a lot of stuff to talk about. My wife just sent me a picture, though. Our, our little dog, Sasha, who is an eight-year-old, six-pound Pomeranian, who's the apple of my eye. She's used to having me around in the morning, and I just got a picture of normally where Sasha hangs out, where I am in the morning getting ready for the show. She's up there looking for Dad. So... Sasha, I will be home um, a little bit earlier today. We have a lot of ground to cover. As I was mentioning a little while ago, you know, if you are a product of a parochial school education, you are undoubtedly familiar with the term PDA, public display of affection. You know, the situation where you're necking in the high school halls or something. Do people still do that? But you're necking in the high school hall and, you know, Sister Mary Ann walks by and sees you and tells you to knock it off. No public displays of affection. Well, around here, we we have a different kind of PD, but it's not PDA. It's not public display of affection. It's PDW. Probation doesn't work. Probation doesn't work. And I've got a link to this story. If you follow me, it's on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. But I want to share with you, just as a starting point for our conversation this morning, a story that appears on, on Fox 6. So here's it. Two Milwaukee men are charged in connection with three armed robberies in eight days. And prosecutors say, One was on GPS monitoring at the time. Christopher Phillips, 20, faces three counts of armed robbery as party to a crime. Amarian Thurman, 22, faces one count of armed robbery as party to a crime. The first crime took place June 3rd near 9th and Ring. The victim reported his vehicle, his wallet, his phone, and house keys were taken during the robbery at the corner store. A criminal complaint says the victim told investigators a man approached pulled a gun and said, give me that expletive now. The stolen vehicle was eventually recovered, and prosecutors say Christopher Phillips, this is the 20-year-old guy, fingerprints were found inside the stolen car. 
The complaint says Phillips identified himself and someone known as, quote, Nash in surveillance and said Nash was the one who pulled the gun. He said uh, when Nash told him to help, he felt he had no choice and took the property out of the victim's pocket. GPS data from Phillips's ankle bracelet placed him at the scene. Let me let that last sentence linger in the air for a moment. GPS data from Phillips's ankle bracelet put him at the scene. He's wearing a GPS ankle bracelet while he's committing an armed robbery. It gets better. The second robbery happened June 7th near 14th and Burleigh. The victim said he was pistol whipped and his vehicle property were taken. Prosecutors say Phillips again blamed Nash for the crime, saying he got into the stolen vehicle with Nash and another male telling investigators Nash was the one who was armed. Phillips said they had gone to the store on Lime scooters, which were found at the scene. He said Nash pushed him into approaching the victim and Nash attacked first. Phillips did admit to going through the victim's pockets, pushing the victim and taking his keys. GPS data from Phillips's ankle bracelet again placed him at the scene. He's wearing, again, a GPS tracker when he goes and commits another armed robbery. The third crime occurred June 11th near 71st and Hope and involved a Lyft driver. Prosecutors say two suspects called for a ride, and when they got into the vehicle, one pulled a gun, stealing the vehicle with the Lyft driver's iPhone inside. The phone's GPS sent investigators to 38th and Lloyd, where the vehicle was found in an alley and two individuals were seen entering a home. Phillips and Thurman were arrested. A gun was recovered, according to the complaint. Prosecutors say Phillips identified them in the surveillance and told investigators he and Thurmond would take electric scooters until they died and they had to walk. He said that he didn't know Thurmond was armed until the crime happened. And he said Thurmond got in the driver's seat of the lift and drove to his aunt's house. OK, so you, you get the, this scene, armed robberies, and the guy is wearing an ankle bracelet. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to tell you why why the defendant in this case was wearing an ankle bracelet when he allegedly committed the various armed robberies. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Good morning. Welcome back. This is Jeff in for Steve. Also want to remind everybody that for the last month or so, um, we've expanded the ways that you can participate or watch the show and literally watch the show because in addition to live streaming the program or listening over terrestrial radio you can also watch us we have our own youtube channel you can go to youtube.com put in wtmj and you can watch us see how my wife has dressed me on any given day or you can simply go to wtmj.com click on instead of the listen live button click on the watch live button and you can take you can you can watch the show go on. It's always kind of fun. I can, we can track how many people do that, and a number of you do. Okay, so I became curious about this this guy that was wearing the GPS bracelet while he's committing the armed robberies. Now, obviously, I think it would be fair to say that he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I think that that would be a fair comment to make. Here, we're going to go out and commit armed robberies and steal cars and do things like this, and I'm going to be wearing a GPS bracelet. As as I say as a former prosecutor, sometimes you get really, really clever criminals, and then other times you get what we would call low-hanging fruit. Well, okay, Christopher Phillips would be the low-hanging fruit when it comes to armed robberies. But I became curious— as to what it was that he did, he's 20 years old, what it was that he did that got him 
wearing the ankle bracelet in the first place? Inquiring minds want to know. So I thought it would be easy, but actually it took me a little longer because at, even at the age of 20, the criminal record that this kid has amassed is, is impressive. I have in my hands, let's see, again, case details in Milwaukee County, and this is from CCAP, um, when he was 16 and a half, he was charged as an adult. Now, that tells me that there's more stuff that has gone on as a juvenile, but I don't know that. I, I don't know for sure. But anyhow, um, August 14th of 2019, Christopher Phillips is charged with a felony vehicle operator fleeing a looting officer causing damage to property. So that's the charge in August of 2019. So it's, it's running from the cops causing damage. Don't know any more about it, but it, it's a felony, and he's 16 and a half at the time. So here is the sentence. He appeared before we name names on this show at the time, Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Mark Sanders. Um, he was sentenced to serve 12 months in the House of Correction, straight time, no good time credit to be earned, credit for 41 days served. That sentence was stayed which means you don't have to serve it, and he was placed on probation for three years with the following conditions, et cetera, et cetera. Don't operate a motor vehicle without a valid driver's license. Don't commit any additional crimes. And by the way, you are a convicted felon. You are not allowed to possess firearms. Okay, so that sentence was handed down on December 3rd of 2020. The crime was about a year earlier, but okay. December 3rd, 2020, he's sentenced to jail, but as happens all the time in Milwaukee County, the sentence is stayed. Don't do it again. We're going to put you on probation, which takes me to June 20th of 2021. He is charged with vehicle operator fleeing, eluding an officer. All right, um, that is on 2020-2021, on November 17th of 2022. Now, this is a guy who's already on probation for this. He is sentenced following a guilty plea. He is sentenced to 12 months in the House of Correction, although we don't call it the House of Correction anymore because we don't want to stigmatize the criminals in the House of Correction. We call it the uh, House of Community Integration or some, the Center for Community Integration, but it's, it's the jail. So here you have a guy who was on probation, has done something else. He's sentenced to 12 months in the House of Correction, concurrent with any other sentence, with credit for 10 days' time served. Okay, the court stayed the sentence, and this was Milwaukee County Circuit Judge uh, Danielle Shelton. The court stayed the sentence and placed the defendant on probation for three years. So this is the defendant who's already on probation, who's committed another crime. He's on probation for three um, three years. Conditions of probation, six months condition time at the House of Correction, stayed until June 1st of 2023, court permanently stays conditions time if the defendant has completed eight hours of in-person's driver's education and has obtained a valid driver's license by June 1st, 2023. Don't know if he made that, but here you have, again, a guy who has committed another crime while he is out on probation. And what is the response? He is put on probation again. Well, while he was out on the first probation, in addition to this offense, December, February 23rd of 2022, he is charged with restrict, resisting or obstructing an officer, bail jumping felony. 
All right. Bail jumping felony for which he ended up pleading uh, guilty to the restricting, resisting an officer. The felony bail jumping was dismissed but read in. He was sentenced again in November of, I think, last year, sentenced to four months in the House of Correction, concurrent with any other sentence. And do you want to guess the next part of the sentence? Yeah, you got it. The court stayed the sentence and placed the defendant on probation for one year. So you have one time after another after another guy committing crimes, violating his probation, and what's the response? More probation. And so now, should we be surprised that a short time later, while wearing a GPS ankle bracelet, which I assume he got as a condition of one of these sort of probations, he's involved in a series of armed robberies. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. PDW, probation doesn't work. Now, I've always believed that one of the great things about this country is that people get second chances. One of the lousy things about this country is that people get three and four and five chances and continue to screw up and are never, ever held accountable. 855-616-1620, that is the old National Bank talk and text line. It is my theory that probation does not work, especially for people who go out and commit more crimes while they are on probation. And we are just... Number one, kidding ourselves if we think it does. And number two, we are continuing to endanger the general public by taking people who are criminals and simply saying, here, have another chance, have another chance, have another chance, and then being surprised when they engage in antisocial behavior. 855-616-1620. Probation doesn't work, does it? We discuss. 855-616-1620. It's just... I mean, the thing that caught my attention is you have a guy who's now been charged with committing three armed robberies or a party to a crime of an armed robbery in over the space of eight days. And the dazzling detail of the story is he was wearing an ankle bracelet, a GPS tracking device. So it wasn't too hard for the authorities. Oh, let's go back. Let's kind of look at the records. Oh, look, this is where he was at the time of the armed robbery. This is where he was at the time of that second armed robbery. One of our texters said, and, and it's all because he, he keeps committing crimes. He, he got his first um, a delinquent adjudication of a felony status when he was 16 and a half years old. The guy has essentially been a one-person crime spree, it appears, you know, since that point in time. And the response from the court is, you know, we're going to put you on probation. We're going to put you on probation. Well, it's not working. Su- oh, oh. Suzanne in Milwaukee. Suzanne, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for the question today. Very interesting. I was wondering if you had information. Obviously, this guy shouldn't have had his sentence stayed repeatedly and his third or fourth, fifth chance. Bad egg. But I was wondering, do we have statistics about or an understanding about how frequently that is done and people that don't actually go on and reoffend or are able to get their their stuff together? Because isn't that the question? This guy, obviously terrible example, shouldn't have been given the third, fourth, fifth chances. But hey, what happens if there are some folks that actually are able, maybe even after a third chance, and get mm-hmm. it together and don't then go on to commit these higher level crimes? See, I guess my so response... question. No, thanks for I guess my response, Suzanne, would be, going back to what I said earlier, great thing about America is people get 
You know, people get second chances. So if you were to say to me, okay, the kid's 16 and a half years old, he's put on probation for felony adjudication of, of delinquency, told not to be around guns, told not to be able to commit crimes. You might say, okay, 16 and a half years old, let, let's give him some chances. Okay, I, I, under, I understand that. Nobody was killed, etc. It was a fleeing a cop. But I guess my point is, what's the purpose of putting people on probation, telling them that, okay, we're, we're going to, you know, you, you can't do this again, don't don't commit any more crimes. You can't do this again. And watch out. This time we're serious. And then when they violate that probation, then not doing anything to them. At some point in time, don't there have to be consequences to people who misbehave? And should we be surprised? And again, I firmly believe that one of the reasons we have so much problem with recidivism is the fact that you have people who commit crimes over and over again because there aren't consequences. You know, OK, we're going to put you on probation. Now we're going to put you on double secret probation. Now it's triple secret probation. All right, now it's what, whatever. And ultimately, they commit more and more serious crimes. And finally, the result is they do something so bad that you have no choice but to say, okay, you've you got to go to prison for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I've always believed if maybe you, you had consequences early on, maybe at least for some of those folks, it would deter them from committing crimes. Obviously, in this case, Probation alone did not work. This is Jeff Wagner in for Steve Scafidi. I'll be with you till Brewers game. Our pregame coverage starts around 1230 this afternoon. All right. Hunter Biden. Now, the news broke yesterday that Hunter Biden has cut actually two plea deals with authorities. The first plea deal is in connection with a false statement that he made when he was obtaining a firearm. They call this lie and buy. That's the term. Um, he, when he was applying to for a, uh, for the the permission to purchase the, the firearm, you know, he's filling out the the federal form. It asked him if he was a drug user, etc. He said no, and at the time he was. They, they, the term for that is lie and buy. Now, generally and apparently, he is going to. Um, enter a diversion program on that that particular count, which means that the charge will be held open, and if nothing happens, if he doesn't violate the law moving forward, ultimately it'll be dismissed. It's a pretrial diversion sort of thing. This is 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 not an uncommon resolution of matters like this. If he was uh, an active felon and he had said that um, and he had filled out the form falsely, he would most likely be charged. But but typically this type of thing, a diversion sort of thing, is not necessarily out of the ordinary. Now, it is interesting because this has been one of the issues that a lot of liberals in particular and a lot of the, the gun control advocates have been very, very upset with the Department of Justice who don't vigorously prosecute people on these quote-unquote lie-and-buy things where the lie does not involve misrepresenting that they are felon. Of course, um, but but beyond that, th- this is not something that is out of character. So I don't want to talk about that. I'm not going to criticize this particular charge because this is one that it doesn't strike me that Hunter Biden is necessarily being treated as differently than somebody else. You can argue that, that everybody who lies on these forms should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, and that's a conversation that might have merit and might be for another day. But that does not strike me as being out of the ordinary. The 
The other part of the plea agreement that I think is interesting is apparently he is going to plead guilty to failing to pay more than $100,000 in income tax in both 2017 and 2018 after making more than $1.5 million per year. So a total of $3 million in income that he earned from, again, these were these foreign companies, and this was the deal that he was able to get where he was getting money from like the foreign companies that was not reported and was not paid as taxes. Um, Ultimately, the money that he owed in taxes were repaid to the IRS thanks to a loan from a wealthy friend. But it doesn't change the fact that that he he didn't pay taxes on, you know, three million dollars in income with a tax liability of like over one hundred thousand dollars each year. The plea is going to be a charge to will. They're going to make it a misdemeanor, which would be willful evasion as opposed to like a felony tax evasion. The justification for this, the only justification, would be apparently Hunter Biden was going to rely on a defense of saying, hey, I was a drug addict, and you know, I, I wasn't thinking clearly at the time, so that's, that's the, I, was all, I was in a fog, I was in a fuddle, I didn't really intentionally <clears throat> mean to you know, evade taxes, it was just something happened because I was, again, a, a drug user, etc., and the government has apparently decided that this is a reasonable resolution, so he will plead to misdemeanors of willful evasion. And in all likelihood, because they are misdemeanors, he will he's not going to do any jail time. Now, I don't know if he'd done jail time on the felonies, but the misdemeanors, clearly he will be put on probation on, again, failing to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxes over two years on millions of dollars in income. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, for the purpose of this discussion, I, I, I don't I don't want to talk about, you know, the you know, do they need to continue this investigation and was, you know, Joe Biden getting any money from this? Because I, I think the evidence of that is is pretty much non-existent um, on, on that. But there's no question Hunter Biden, the son, um, didn't 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 pay taxes, you know, evaded income taxes on on like three million bucks and a couple hundred thousand dollars of tax liability. My question is, what sort of message does it send to everybody else saying that, hey, if you you evade paying hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxes, you pay it when you ultimate you pay it back when you get caught, but only after you get caught and you're only going to get misdemeanors. Does that send an appropriate message to all the rest of us schlubs who are told, yeah, schlubs is a term of art, you hear that in your third year of law school, to all the rest of us schlubs who are, I don't know, who are supposed to pay taxes on our income? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. I want to be real clear here. I never said that I think Hunter Biden necessarily should go to jail for failing to, I don't know, report income tax, report over $3 billion in, in income and failing to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes until they found out about it. And then he took out a loan and, and paid the, the taxes. But that was only after they found out and that he was under investigation. My issue is, 
how how can you not give him a felony for that type of money that that sort of thing all that money that's involved and it's interesting our text line is kind of full up with people who are apologizing for this jeff how many other people have been paying their taxes he did pay them you cannot compare what trump did with classified documents and being late on taxes like mccarthy did Okay, I, who, who's talking about Trump here? That this is—it's one of the sort of interesting things that's out there. The fact that people try to find moral equivalencies. Well, you know, Trump did this, so that means you know why should we look at Hunter Biden and why should we be upset that he didn't? You know that he evaded you know three million dollar taxes on three million dollars of income. I mean, seriously, if you if you had. I don't know, $100,000 on income, and, and you didn't pay taxes on it, and you did it repeatedly over a period of at least multiple years, do, do you really think that there wouldn't be any sort of, of criminal accountability for that? And I guess that this idea that, well, how dare anybody suggest that we should investigate the president's son, or he paid it back? Well, he paid it back after they found out, you know, what they, they, after the jig was up, after they found out that he ended up owing the money. So, I mean, this is, you know, this is the idea on this. Jeff, deal might be wrong, but, you know, you, there's ads that I hear that tout tax evasion every day, so Biden is no worse than others who cut deals. Look, here, here's the problem. It, it's a situation of minimizing charges and not holding people responsible. And for everybody out there who's saying, "Okay, we got to go after Donald Trump because he didn't give back the he didn't give back those records. And and by the way, I continue to believe that historians are going to write that down as one of the most stupid actions. Just if you would have given back the records, you wouldn't have had the country thrown into this turmoil. But at the same time, you can't have the moral high ground when you're saying, oh, let's let's only give somebody who you know didn't report three million dollars in income over a period of two years. Let's give them, you know, the misdemeanor on this. A couple of our texters are also saying, you know, one of the biggest questions is why did it take five years to investigate? That's a fair question, too. This is about as straightforward a, a prosecution as you can possibly uh, imagine. It's like, okay, did you have the income? Yes or no? Well, yes, you had the income. Okay, did you report the income? Yes or no? In this case, it was no. Um, did you pay taxes on the income in a timely fashion? No, didn't pay taxes on the income until it was clear that you know you'd been caught not paying for this. I mean, that's the whole you know idea that's going on here. And again, I don't want to get dragged into the whole that the lie and buy thing for the gun because. You can make a strong argument that Hunter Biden is not being treated any differently for making that false statement on the gun, the firearm application, than lots of other people are. Now, you can argue, and like I said earlier, a lot of liberal gun control advocates do argue they should be more aggressive. Anybody that lies in those forms should get a felony. But I can see that is not how the Department of Justice works. So I'm less— I'm less incensed, I guess, about that sort of deal as opposed to a situation where, you know, we have somebody that had that kind of income who decided that they weren't going to pay it and essentially, you know, walks away with a misdemeanor, which guarantees no criminal, uh, which pretty much guarantees that there aren't going to be any sort of uh, of of occurrences. Jeff, it's ridiculous that Hunter Biden got off so lightly. However, I believe it happens regularly with the rich 
and privileged, and yet the Republicans in Congress don't want to fund the IRS enforcement. Well, okay, I, I would argue this. What's the, what's the purpose of having more IRS agents if this is going to be the outcome of that? Now, look, I don't know if there was political influence that went into this or, or not. Don't, don't know about that. You have IRS whistleblowers who say this case was handled differently. I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. I just know that from the perspective of the general public, if you take off your I love Joe Biden or I hate Donald Trump or I love being a Democrat or I love being a Republican, you take off those blinders and you just describe to that Martian who has landed in Cathedral Square for the first time and you explain our income tax system and you have to pay this money, et cetera, et cetera. And then you say, OK, well, we have the president's son who made three plus million dollars over two years and didn't pay taxes on it. Um, owed a couple hundred thousand dollars, and until he was caught, you know, then then he paid it back, and this is the deal. Essentially, nothing's going to happen to him. You explain that to the Martians, and the Martians are going to say, "What? Huh? You know how?" And then they're going to like fly away in their flying saucer from Earth, wondering whether there's intelligent life in the United States. It just strikes me as bad. And I understand you can say, "Okay, there's double standards here, and they should be investigating the Trump kids and all that." Okay, that that's fine. Investigate the Trump kids if you think you've got similar examples of income tax evasion or whatever. Prosecute them. Nobody's arguing that. But when you have what is a dead bang winner sort of case to essentially give it away. And that's what this pretty much is. This is giving it away, I think, sends the wrong message to absolutely everybody. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff, it sounds to me that you do not have any any empathy towards someone who has severe drug addiction issues, mental health issues. No one truly knows the circumstances of his life besides him. Uh, Poor Hunter Biden. To which my response was, yeah, he's competent enough to earn millions of dollars, but he's not competent enough to be expected to file tax returns or pay taxes on it. Sorry, you can't you can't have it, you know, both ways. <laughs> you can't. All right. He's getting. Then my question is, OK, if he's not competent enough, he's so addled that he doesn't understand his obligation to pay taxes or he can't pay taxes. What was he doing to collect th- this money? Exactly. Why were these foreign outfits paying him all this dough. Just inquiring minds, you know, want to know. But again, this whole idea of, you know, people who want to apologize for bad behavior. And, and here's here here's the truth of this. It's the double standards out there. And I guess this is, you know, what we've gotten to in this society. If this was Trump's kid, you know, if this was Donald Jr., who, you know, made millions of dollars and didn't pay taxes on it, and only after this got exposed, decided to pay it back— all the people who are texting me now saying, oh, well, poor Hunter Biden. I mean, this, you, how, how, how can you think that there's anything wrong with just you know, giving him a slap on the wrist? Every single one of those people who's texting me now, they would be saying that Donald Trump Jr., he's a grifter. You know, we need to prosecute him. He should be put in, you know, the orange jumpsuit and perp walked in handcuffs. And that's just the reality. And it, it, it says, I think, a lot about where we are as a country, where you get these, these sort of, again, where we just kind of view stuff through these particular blinders of this is our side. Nobody on our side can do anything wrong. And, you know, here we're going to try to search to find for some sort form of moral equivalency. And the truth of the matter is, OK, you make three million dollars and you don't pay taxes. That should be a felony. That That's just the fact of the matter. 
And if you don't see that, there's nothing I can do to help you on it. It's just that. You don't pay taxes on lots less money. It should be a felony. Does that mean you have to go to prison for 10 years? Not necessarily. It depends on the circumstances. But there's no question this is a slap on the wrist. And I think it makes it harder the next time you have some big-time white-collar tax evader who comes down the pike, it makes it harder for the Justice Department, for the IRS to prosecute that person, Republican or Democrat, because, okay, Hunter Biden, this is the Hunter Biden case, this is what happened to him, makes it harder to bring a felony against that next person, Republican or Democrat, and that's not a good thing. Hey, when we come back after the top of the hour news, let's talk about this submersible. It's one of the most fascinating stories of the year. This is Jeff Wagner in for Steve Scafidi, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good morning, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Steve Scafidi off today. I'll be with you till 1230. So, Eric Bilstead, inquiring minds want to know, if it wasn't, let, let's put aside the cost of a quarter million dollars to take this trip. Are you getting on to... This 22-foot-long, like, cylinder that is going to drop like a rock for hours in a remote part of the Atlantic with five people in it. You're wearing five layers of clothes because it's so cold down there. It's pure darkness. Um, Are you going to, for a couple hours, to get down to then kind of circle around the, the wreck of the Titanic, are you getting on that? If you would have asked me a week ago, I probably would have said yes. Really? Well, just actually the the eeriness of actually seeing what is now an iconic what hull or you know iconic portion right. of the would would be pretty would be pretty cool. It would be pretty amazing to see something like that up close, just because of the interest in in that story and the, that shipwreck and. But given what we've seen here the last couple of days, obviously I'd have to reconsider that thought now. I have three words: IMAX movie screen. You know, I mean, it, it, no, I mean, I, and it's, and of course we are, we're all, everybody's hoping and praying for the best. But yeah. the, the truth of the matter is, they're they're estimating that there's probably about a one percent chance of survival. I mean, the the good news, I guess, is a Canadian aircraft flying over the area around the Titanic has heard like every thirty minutes they've heard some sort of pinging, a banging, which could just be normal stuff going on in the ocean. But, I mean, if you want to look at it in the light most favorable to this, it could be people, you know, trapped in this submarine that are, like, banging on on the side trying to to be hurt. Right. But the problem, of course, is even even if that's the case, the ability to find in in the ocean to find a a 22-foot, you know, long tube is, is... you know, needle in a haystack. It's basically a minivan you're right, looking for. Right, you know, a needle in a haystack. And then on top of that, you add into the fact that, I mean, there, there's only X amount of breathable oxygen that's that's left. And then even if you find it, the question is, how do you bring it up? Right. It, I mean, it depends where this is. Everything I say, say e- nuclear submarines can't go this deep. <laughs> Right. You know, yeah. you know, so what are you going to use? What contraption would you even use to get it up? Would there be other debris? I mean, the, the debris field from the Titanic is huge. So right. to assume that it's just in this one easy little place to pluck up, I mean, there's so many. Right. You can't send divers down. It's nope. too far for nope. that. It, it's it's how do you retrieve it? I mean, everything I'm reading says that there's only one or two vessels in the world 
that might have the capability yeah. of of retrieving this. Now, now I think their hope was maybe the thing would have popped up to the surface like a cork and be bo- bobbing mm-hmm. around. Right. So if you could find it on the surface, you you spring the latch and and you know you get, get air, air in, yeah. right in there. But I, the it just it you, and you hate to you hate to be a Debbie Downer on this, but the truth is. It doesn't sound like it's going to end well. No, I I fear they may never find it. I mean, think about that Malaysian flight that went down a few years ago. That they that was a large plane that crashed on the surface of the ocean, and they were right. never able to find anything. In this case, to find something that small, I, I right. Geez. Well, also, and it's just it, it, it everything I read, it kind of gets worse and worse. They they don't know. What happened to it? I mean, that's the kind of right. underlying thing. One of the stories I'm reading, like, I don't know if it's the Washington Post, New York Times, or whatever today, saying, you know, there is a possibility this, that this thing completely lost power. So those people have been in the dark. Yeah. I mean, can, I mean, that's, I mean, you're, the, the way this, this works is imagine just dropping like a rock for two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. That's, that's yep. what this does to get down there. So you're in, the middle of I don't say the middle. You're in some obscure spot in the Atlantic Ocean. It's dark. You, there's no sunlight. It's completely right. dark yep. around yep. you. Yep. And imagine if that thing really did, in fact, lose power. So it's not good. And even if it were to somehow have made it to the surface, still not super easy to find something like that floating on the on the surface. But they would not be able to get out. They would because they cannot open it from the inside. Right. So they would still be running out of oxygen, even if they happen to be floating on the surface of the Atlantic. Right. And of course, the other you know breaking news is that apparently the company that that owns and developed this craft, they're called OceansGate. Um, apparently, um, they they had been warned by engineers going back a couple years yeah. that um, there's there's all sorts of potential problems with like the electrical system and with safety and things like that. And it, it they might've just gone ahead and done this. Yeah. No, well, Not good. Not good. Well, no, it, it isn't. And of course you, you hope you absolutely hope for, for the best, but you have to be, you know, no one would be happier. I think, I mean, the, the great thing is they find this thing bobbing, you know, mm-hmm. and you're able to pop the top, and then this becomes just a movie of the week with just a happy ending. But, you know, realistically, it doesn't look like that. But I continue to be, I continue to be intrigued by by the notion that people would, would do this. I, I'm looking at a story of apparently there was one guy who was supposed to be on this sub, but pulled out. Yeah, you know, he right? put down his deposit, but then changed his mind because he was concerned about the technology and some of the materials that were were used in, in this. Um, yeah. So how about that? Right. Imagine that guy. Well, it, it's kind of like the people who you know miss their flight and then the flight goes down. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's that right. kind of story. It's like, yeah, I'm gl- glad I stopped at the bar or whatever. But this has been happening for ever since Bob Ballard, the explorer found the Titanic, what, in the 80s or early 90s, whenever that was, ever since that happened, there have been people going down there. I mean, it, it, they go down there quite a bit. We've seen we've seen the mu- uh, museum exhibits here at right. the Public Museum. Oh, well, sure, absolutely. Like where they come and they bring all the stuff. So like there have been, quote unquote, explorers, if you will, yeah. going down there, searching, going through the wreckage for years. So there, the technology has been there, but you're right. There's, there's been a lot of questions about specifically what Ocean Gate was doing. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. I 
I, I appreciate this desire to see new places, and I appreciate that, you know, this our, our country and the world has been based on, you know, people exploring and, and things yeah. like that. And I also concede the fact that, you know, I guess for, for me— IMAX theater, you know, looking at the looking at the drones <laughs> circling around the Titanic, th- that would be just as as good as as going down there. And and yeah, let me be honest, there is no way in God's green earth. For, forget forget the money, forget the money. Even if you had the money, there is no way in God's green earth that I'm going to be one of five people climbing into a 22 foot long cylinder <laughs> that is going to be dropped 12,500 feet into the Atlantic Ocean while I'm wearing five layers of clothes because it's going to be freezing down there and there's going to be water dripping on me from condensation. I'm just not doing it. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Eric Bilstad says, well, he, he would have at least up until recently considered it. Now, this, some decisions in my life are easy and some are hard. This, one, this one's pretty easy. It would be no, no interest in doing that. Would you do something like this? Let's put money aside. If you could afford it or it was affordable, would you get on something like this? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. I mean, this is, it's, it is a horrible story. I, I hope, 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 hope that, that I am wrong. But it just doesn't seem to me that there's any way, and we're talking, of course, about the, the five people who were in the, the little tube, 22 feet long, that descends like a rock to go look at, at the Titanic, sort of the, you know, the ultimate in exploratory tourism. And, of course, the reports are this is, it's been essentially missing since Sunday. They're running out of air. There's only, at best, enough air to last, I think, till tomorrow afternoon. But there, nobody knows what's happened to this. Nobody can find it. It's in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. If you want to like, have a ray of hope, it's a, a Canadian plane yesterday heard sporadic banging sounds, which in a best-case scenario could be you know, people inside the submarine banging using cups or something to bang on the carbon fire, fiber exterior. It, it could also just be ordinary noise in the ocean. But even, even if they're able to... Even if it were people banging on this, it, it's still it's it's an ocean, and to try to identify where this particular vessel might be in the ocean is literally a needle in a haystack. That that is, and it's a big haystack that that needle would be in. On top of that, even if they were somehow able to figure out, okay, the submersible craft is is here, or we, we think we have a pretty good idea where it is, then there's the whole matter of, of getting to it, assuming it's it's not on the up. If, if somehow it has resurfaced and bobbed up, well, it still needs to be, it can only be open from the outside, so you need to find it. But if it's, if it's under the water, I mean, if you're talking about something that's you know, a thousand or two thousand or three thousand meters below the the sea level, there how there, there's no way to get it up. There's only a couple vessels in the world that could you know get it. So you'd have to find it, then you'd have to figure out a way to retrieve it. So I mean, I'm not trying to be like I say a Debbie Downer on this. You, you pray for a good outcome, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. But I, I the more I find out about this, I'm just thinking, and, and maybe it's because I have a healthy fear of water. 
uh, number one. And, and number, now it's not to say that I haven't gone on cruises or I won't go on, you know, boats, but I have a healthy fear of water, number one. And secondly, while I don't consider myself to be overly claustrophobic, okay, there's five people in a 22-foot-long tube. Brandon, you're shaking your head. <laughs> He's just like, there are five people in a 22-foot-long tube, and essentially you're like, I mean, the interior is kind of like a minivan, and I think that that might be generous. Uh, but, I mean, imagine that, you know, and you're you're sitting down, you're on your side, and there's, you know, it's not like you're standing up and walking around. If you've ever, you know, had the chance to tour a submarine, you can imagine how claustrophobic that is. Well, this is submarine, you know, squared, 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, I don't even want to know how the toilet arrangement works in that thing. Well, no, I mean, what there is is apparently at the back of the tube, there's a little um, there, there's a little curtain, and you kind of crawl over people. You go to the curtain, and there's just like, like a little camper's toilet or something. That's why if you read the— um, the, the the advice that they give you on people who are going to do this, they essentially say, go before you leave. <laughs> that's, that's, that's um, you know, kind of it. Jeff, we can track sharks with GPS. You mean to tell me this thing wasn't equipped with GPS? GPS isn't working. That's, that's the problem. The, you know, the GPS um, isn't, isn't working. They're, there's, they're not sending the signals, so they don't know where this was. Jeff, how in the world does this not have an emergency transponder? Don't know. But, I mean, that's, that's part of the underlying thing. You're, you're down there. And, and, but, see, here's the deal. Even, even if it had GPS, even if it had a transponder, if this thing, let's say, has a mechanical failure or gets stuck on, on the bottom or gets tangled up in wreckage or something, there, there's no way you get down to it. That, that's the thing. It's so far down, you, you can't send divers. Like we were talking about earlier, at least lots of submarines can't dive this low. Um, just, you know, a problem. So you're sinking like a rock. The lights flicker and then go out. You're in the dark four hours. Yeah, that's th- this is, you know, this is the horrible thing. Jeff, I have to agree with Eric, who said that, yeah, until a couple of weeks ago, he'd consider this. Um, no, I, I think now I'd, re- I'd rethink that whole situation. Jeff, I would only do this um, for if it was generational wealth. Let's talk to Jerry in Waukesha. Jerry, you're in WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Jeff. Good. Always enjoy listening to your show whenever you're on. Thank you. Um, I'm I'm retired Army, and uh, now I was never Navy or Coast Guard, but I've been involved with air and water show, doing different things. And um, two things that came to my mind. One, this has got to cost millions of dollars between the United States and uh Canada's Coast Guard, Navy, whoever's out there looking for it. And the other thing with this vessel or or craft, Coast Guard has an inspection thing that they do on ships, yachts, uh, ocean-going vessels, cruise lines. And and there was a story that came out, I don't know how true it was, in regards to a lawsuit from a former employee saying that these things were accidents waiting to happen. And um, I'm just wondering, like, how how could this go on like it did in did the Coast Guard ever intervene to try to check to see if that fact was true or not? Yeah, that's you know, my two questions. There. Yeah, well, thanks to call Jerry and thanks for listening. I appreciate it so much. Well, there's a story in the New York Times that I think is might be what you were referring to. The headline is Ocean Gate was warned of potential Ocean Gates, the 
the, the, the company that, that runs this thing. Um, OceanGate was warned of potential for catastrophic problems with Titanic mission. Experts inside and outside the company warned of potential dangers and urged the company to undergo a certification process. Years before OceanGate's submersible craft went missing in the Atlantic Ocean with five people aboard, the company faced several warnings as it prepared for its hallmark mission of taking wealthy passengers to tour the Titanic's re- um, wreckage. It was January of 2018, and the company's engineering team was about to hand over the craft named Titan to a new crew who would be responsible for ensuring the safety of future passengers. But experts inside and outside the company were beginning to sound alarms. And then it kind of, it goes from there. You wouldn't have needed to sound the alarms for me because, you know, there there's no question, there, there's no question, this is not this is not something that I would be going on. Jeff, I have enough issues flying in an airplane. This is a big no for me. You know, it is kind of interesting how, how science exists. When, when you, think about, you think about the airplane, you've got this big silver tube, and you've got engines, and you put all these people on, and you put all the baggage on, and it's able to lift off the ground and fly and then land. It's just amazing that we can do that. So maybe this isn't Quite as different, but, you know, at least with, with airplanes, almost all the time, they, they get where they are supposed to go. This is kind of a different thing. Look, I hope, 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 hope this turns out well. And we, we're all hoping and praying that it's going to turn out well. You know, that, that's your heart. Your head is telling you that this probably isn't going to turn out so well. You don't even know if it's ever going to be recovered. But I, I do think it, it may be giving people pause moving forward as to whether they think this kind of adventure tourism is a good idea or not. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner in for Steve Scafidi. My time is finally here. That old ballpark man is back in gear. I don't fall tonight. Man, I can see the lights. Summer solstice. Yes, today is the day. I, 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 I used to... I used to say, oh, it's the longest day of the year. And then I would always be corrected by a couple of our listeners who would say, no, days are 24 hours. Yes, this is the day where the daylight hours are the longest. It is the summer solstice, and we will have approximately 15 hours of daylight today, maybe a little bit more. And then, if again, if, if you want to be the glasses half full guy or gal, you could say, well, now the, the daylight hours start decreasing, which is true. But I'm I'm, I'm going to rock with this for a while. One of our texters says, hey, it's summer solstice. Are you sacrificing a, go- a goat to your pagan god? I said, nope, but I am going to be sacrificing some brain cells to a gin and diet tonic later on today. That, that I pretty much <laughs> guarantee you on this. So just kind of... Um, enjoy it and appreciate it. One of our texters says, um, for me, it's one day closer to winter. I got a new snowmobile suit order. Don't, don't want to think about that at all. We, um, you know, we have a place in, in Florida, and one of the things I noticed during the winter is, again, it's all how long, how long the daylight, how much daylight you get depends on how close to the equator you are. And one of the interesting things in Florida, like in December and January and February, is it stays lighter longer. There, there's more there's more daylight in uh, the the evenings and the, the evenings. Um, but also what happens is like today in Miami, for example, there's only like 13 and a half hours of, of daylight as opposed to like 15 hours here. And it just has all to do with that that thing about the earth revolving around the sun and stuff like that. Okay. 
we have on on my show, and I'm sure Steve has done the same. We've talked a lot about this this Milwaukee Common Council and the county board, who are now, thanks to legislation that was passed by the Republican legislature and signed into law by Governor Evers, um, that the way that Milwaukee and other communities across the country get shared revenue has now changed. There's going to be more shared revenue coming back, but that one of the key parts of the legislation is that the city of Milwaukee has the ability to impose a 2% sales tax on purchases in the city of Milwaukee. And Milwaukee County will have the ability to impose approximately a a 0.5% sales tax on top of the sales tax that that already exists. So if the Common Council and the County Board did this, the the sales tax on items sold in the city of Milwaukee would go up to 7.9%, almost 8%. Now, the way this is going to happen is you need a two-thirds vote from the county supervisors, the county board of supervisors, to impose that that roughly 0.49% sales tax increase. And you need a two-thirds vote of the Milwaukee Common Council, which means I believe 10 out of the 15 members have to have to vote yes on this. Seven have already said, well, you know, we've got problems with this because it restricts our ability to, to you know, spend money, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you know, they're going to have to decide, are they going to turn up their nose at, at hundreds of millions of dollars that even though there's restrictions placed on it, that if they don't have that sales tax, Milwaukee's in, in a heck of a problem. And if they don't get it passed relatively quickly because of the timing of it, they're, they might not get it in place before the Republican National Convention comes into town a year from now, which is where, you know, if you do have that added sales tax, it really is going to be a financial boon to the city. But but here's the, the interesting thing. Let me take you back in time. Back, well, going on 20 years ago, we, we had the Milwaukee County, what's been referred to as the pension scandal. And if you were around here at the time, you will remember this. You had the county executives and members of the county board who made changes to the pension system. And, you know, we don't need to go into all of it, but essentially what they did allowed various county employees to retire. And when they retired, they would get lump sum payments, enormous lump sum payments, in some cases, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand, a million dollars, and still be able to collect substantial pensions. And the, the argument that was made at the time, and I'm oversimplifying this, was that they, they didn't know. We, we didn't understand. We were deceived by the people that outlined this pension thing, and we were just taken advantage of, and we were fooled, et cetera, et cetera. There, there was a huge blowback to that. And I, I think, you know, if you remember back at the time, there were, this is where you know, recalls really started. A number of members of the county board were recalled and the, the county board, the makeup changed. People lost their offices. The county executive, the late Tom Amon, ended up um, resigning rather than face. There, there was a recall movement that was going on. He would have been recalled and he would have lost in the recall election. So he ended up, you know, resigning pretty much in disgrace. But there were huge consequences when voters found out that, gee, th- this is what our, our elected representatives have done. And whether you believe they knew about it or whether they should have known about it, it, it didn't matter. There were just 
There was huge blowback. And I don't know that I have ever seen blowback on another issue like like that one. So here's what I'm intrigued about going on now. The the Let's talk about the, the Common Council. Common Council in Milwaukee is going to have to decide. Ten out of the 15 of them are going to have to vote to impose a 2% sales tax. 2% sales tax will affect visitors. So the people coming for the Republican National Convention, they're going to have to pay. But what it's also going to do is on a daily basis, that is going to affect their constituents. They are voting on what will be uh, sales taxes are regressive. Sales tax, by regressive, you mean a sales tax impacts people with less money more than it impacts somebody with more money. Um, Somebody who makes $25,000 a year and goes to the store and buys $100 worth of groceries or $100 worth of whatever is going to pay the the same sales tax as somebody who makes $100,000 a a year. So it's the same amount of money, and that's what they mean when they say it's regressive. My question is this. If, If members of the Common Council vote for this, and I believe they will, Will there be fallout? Will people turn out at the ballot boxes next April? And that's when members of the Common Council are up for election. Will they turn out? Will this be a campaign issue? One of the reasons why the mayor and the county executive felt so strongly about changes is they were afraid that if this matter went to a referendum, you know, voters in the city would say no. Voters in the county would say no. Well, here's my question. If members of the Common Council or, I guess, the county board vote for this, will there be consequences? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. We discuss. So, very glad to have you with us. If you're tuning in, hey, what's that Wagner guy? He's normally on in the afternoon. Steve Scafidi taking the day off, and I'll be with you till uh, start of Brewers baseball. Our pregame starts around 1230. You can participate in the program in many ways, and you can watch it now. If I, I And I'm always amazed. Lots of people watching us. We've got our own YouTube channel. You go to YouTube and put in WTMJ. And you can see us. You can see how my wife dressed me. You can also access the watch live function by going to, again, WTMJ.com and clicking that button. And we always appreciate everybody listening to the podcasts and tuning in however you find us. All right. It's going to be interesting because over, you know, if if they want to get it done, there there is there's a time crunch because if the Common Council, let's take that as an example, when they sign off, if they sign off on this 2% sales tax increase that they can do, there's a 120-day waiting period. So there's you, you've got to get it done. You can only start it at a quarter. So you can only start it like January 1st or April 1st. You get the idea, July 1st. And, and so they have to get it done 120 days before one of those quarters so that people can so that the, the state can get ready to do the mechanisms to kind of collect the tax. So there is an urgency to this. My question is if and we can talk about the county board of supervisors or the common council, maybe a bigger issue with the common council because they're looking at a two percent sales tax increase. Will there be a blowback if if they vote for that? Let's start with Vincent in Lannan. Hi, Vincent. You're on WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good, mor- good morning, Jeff. <laughs> it's an odd saying that. Yeah. Good morning, Jeff. And, uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, yes, I think there will be blowback if they pass this uh, sales tax. The fact is, uh, I think they should have given the uh, citizens of Milwaukee an opportunity to have a referendum so they could vote on the type of sales tax they wanted. And I think a lot of people are upset about that. 
the, the fact is there are several uh, members on the Common Council who only had a one-year term. They just got elected. Right. And uh, you figure uh, uh, also uh, uh, Mayor Johnson is also, you know, is, uh, uh, is up for election as well. And I think a lot of people are upset about, about not having an opportunity to vote on the sales tax. And also a lot of people are upset about the conditions that were laid down mm-hmm. in this particular uh, uh, plan as well. And so, yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why you see they're not hurrying up and trying to vote on this. And, and so uh, well, let me ask they, you this, I don't Vincent. think they have enough votes now. Well, let me ask you this. Um, if you remember back to the debate when they were building Miller Park, now American Family Field, and, you know, it, yeah. it was financed by that, that five-county sales tax George P. Tax, state senator from Racine, changed his vote, ended up losing in a recall election, and it pretty much ended his mm-hmm. political career because you know people in his district said, "No, we don't want a part of this." Do you think? Do you think really in the city of Milwaukee, if and maybe not all the aldermen, but that it would end the political careers of at least some of the aldermen if they voted for this? Yes, I do. I, I think uh, people are galvanizing when you listen to, uh, especially the black radio talk, uh, talk mm-hmm. stations. Yes, they're galvanizing for individuals to, uh, if they're going to vote on this, they're going to lose their jobs. And so uh, I think uh, that's that's one of the issues they have to debate. But like I said, right now, I think they don't have the votes. And I think this is one of the reasons why that a lot of people have uh have uh, decided to say, hey, well, we, we're not happy with this package. Yeah, no, thanks. I think it's going to be fascinating. I mean, I now, you know, a couple of our texters are making this point saying, okay, Jeff, what are you talking about? This is Milwaukee. People don't care about crime. You know, we, we you keep electing the same people over and over again and nothing get gets better. You know, it's just th- that's the argument that's made. But it, there is an element about when you're talking about, you know, people's pocketbooks, it's different. And that's what, again, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm wondering whether this vote is going to be analogous to the PTAC vote, you know, and what happened to him. Is this, is this vote, because you can't, unlike, unlike with the pension scandal 20 years ago, you can't make an argument now that you don't know what you're doing. I mean, that was, some supervisors said, well, we were just deceived, we were duped, we, we didn't get this, we didn't understand this. Um, this, this, everybody knows what you're doing. And in general, my experience has been with exceptions like the, the Milwaukee County pension scandal, voters around here are extremely apathetic when it comes to issues. And I'm, I'm seriously, which makes me doubt that this one's going to be any different, but who knows? Let's talk to Tim in Milwaukee. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, yeah, I agree with you completely about the apathy of our citizens here and their voting. It's ridiculous. Um, the people who vote for this, uh, the aldermen, are going to have to really sell it to their constituents. And depending on what they are going to sell it as, you know, as to what they're going to use this money for, will depend on how much blowback there is. If it's something similar to the flop or the hop, yeah, um, you know, which it can't be used for, um, you know, there's going to be some serious blowback. But I think there's an apathy factor, as you indicated, and they're going to have to sell this. Uh, but again, when's the last time an alderman was unseated uh, without some, you know, major really scandal, terrible <laughs> scandal? So, yeah. yeah, you know, so, it, it, it's it's we'll interesting. See. Yeah, I thanks for the call. You, you make a really good point. You have to sell it. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons why they didn't want to go to a referendum. And if you're a regular listener in my afternoon program, you know, for for years and years. Milwaukee, both the county and the city, were going to the state legislature and saying, let us let us have a referendum 
a binding referendum to increase the, the sales tax. And that was the argument. So and, and that was the and I was saying, hey, that's local control. If people want to raise their their taxes, I think they should have a right to do it. So then once this was going through the legislature, once this, this changes were about to be, make a reality, most of those same people who were saying, give us a referendum, give us a referendum. We're now saying, well, are we, we, we don't we don't want a referendum because we're afraid now that the vote is going to fail. I mean, I don't know that that's the case, but you make a really good point. Um, you know, you make a really good point, Tim, when you talk about, hey, you know, they're going to have to sell it. The problem with selling it, though, is is what do you emphasize? Do you emphasize, okay, you're going to need to do this to save cops, you know, which is is good. It's worthwhile. Do you try to say, okay, we've we've got a pension crisis because for years and years and years— We've had these unfunded pension liabilities. What was it, like eight years out of the last 11, out of the last 19? They haven't put in any money into the pension fund. So now this is this ticking time bomb as all these workers are getting ready to retire. Now, because we fiscally mismanaged this for years and years, now we've got to come up with all this money. I mean, it's tough to go to, you know, Joe Lunchbucket voter and say, you know, we're going to jack up 2%. Maybe you can say 2% doesn't make much difference. And for some people, maybe it doesn't, but for others, it does. You know, 2%, we want to jack up your your sales tax 2% because we want to pay for, you know, this pension crisis. That's a tougher sell. I agree with you. I think aldermen are going to have to sell it. I think ultimately this is going to pass because, frankly, the, the the consequences of it not passing are too great. But my guess is that some of the aldermen and members of the county board who swallow real hard and vote for this might experience some political upheaval. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we got a lot of stuff coming up in the 11 o'clock hour of the program, including they're writing more tickets. Hallelujah. I'll explain, and we will discuss. This is Jeff Wagner in for Steve Scafidi, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good morning, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. If you're just tuning in, Steve Scafidi off today. I will be with you till Brewers Baseball at around 1230 or so. Hey, tomorrow... You know, Eric Bilstadt and I were talking about some of our favorite days of the year. For me, it's Thanksgiving, it's Christmas, it's my birthday, it's my anniversary, September 29th. See, I knew that off the top of my head. And it's it's summer solstice. But tomorrow, Eric Bilstadt, is another fun day, a day that everybody around here should look forward to. The start of Summerfest. The start of Summerfest. Absolutely. And... As a way of getting you involved in that, if you happen to be coming down, we have broadcast. WTMJ will be broadcasting live from our mobile broadcast facility. Um, I'll be there most of the weekday. To keep in mind, this year, as last year, Summerfest, it, it's not the what would be the traditional you know, Wednesday through Sunday, take Monday off, and then the, the next week. It's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for three consecutive mm-hmm. weekends. Yeah. And we will be broadcasting live from Summerfest. I think I'm down there. There's one weekday. Maybe it's like the third week. I forget. But there, there's one week. There's a Thursday where there's an early baseball game, so I won't be down there. But otherwise, we'll be down there. So people should stop off and bang on the—no, don't bang on the door. <laughs> don't bang on it, but but wave and, and say hello. The yeah. weather's looking good, too, for you this time around. So this first weekend's going to be really nice. Well, you know, it's funny. I ran into—I was at an event with uh, Summerfest CEO Don Smiley last week, and you know, we, we were just talking about that. And 
it, it is that's the thing that sometimes people don't I don't think they necessarily appreciate how weather dependent all the whether it doesn't matter whether it's an ethnic festival or summer fest or state fair or your church festival or whatever how weather dependent it is because you can have you can have the best musical lineup you could have the best games you could have the yep. best food and beer yep. and if it's a crummy day people just don't come mm-hmm. out you're but, right. You know, that happened to Polish Fest, um, Polish Fest last weekend, the weekend before. Um, the great weather on Friday and Saturday, big crowds, and then it was at Sunday. If you yeah, remember Sunday a week ago, Sunday, dead. it was, and, and it just, you know, okay, it, it's cold, it's rainy, and nobody, I don't want to say nobody, <laughs> but almost nobody comes down there. Right, and it just, right. And it, it just kills them. The other thing, um, and, and this won't be a factor for Summerfest, but it's kind of weird. But um, remember my friend Kathleen O'Leary, who mm-hmm. was used to run the State, State Fair, Fair up yeah. until last year. She would also say, and they, they deal with this more at State Fair in August, but extreme heat. She would say it's, you know, rain is bad, but, but you know, 85, 90, 100 degree heat. With people, humidity and all that. Right. No people thanks. just stay home. They just yeah. don't want to walk around and they don't want to spend money and they do these things. So you, you've got that going on as well. Need that sweet spot. That's 78 to 83 degrees. Well, well, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what it's actually yeah, looking like looking for nice. at least the, the first week of Summerfest. Matter of fact, um, I, I want to, that, that's where I want to start our conversation. Then I want to talk about traffic tickets in a little bit. But Summerfest does start tomorrow. I am, if you are a regular listener, of this program, I am a huge, huge fan of Summerfest. Summerfest uh, will be, it's, this is the 55th year, and I have been going to almost all of them. I mean, I, I don't think I went to the first one, but I went to the first one that was on the lakefront in, in 1970, and I, you know, we've, we've done bits about, like, Summerfest, you know, memories and things like that, and I was, I, I wasn't at the Ice Bowl, but I was at Summerfest the night George Carlin said the seven words you can't say um, in Milwaukee or on TV. I was there a year later the night of the Humble Pie riots where things got out of control. I, so, I, I mean, I, I've, I've been going to Summerfest over the years, and whenever I get a chance to walk around the grounds like I will tomorrow, I'll get down there a little bit early, I'm just, I always remember what Summerfest was like when it was essentially, it would rain, it would be a mud pit, and, and you'd have all the porta-potties lined up and stuff like that, and, and how it's changed and evolved. I remember when the main stage was on the north end of the grounds, and it was it was like a free stage, and now you've got the American Family Amphitheater that's on the other end, and you've got all, it's just, it's always been amazing to me how Summerfest has changed. But at the same time, um, all these events uh, remain Remain fragile. There, there's no question about it. And and if we are being honest, and I think it's always important to be honest with these conversations, uh, attendance at Summerfest has been going down over over the years. There was a period of time where Summerfest was all about the attendance. Can we draw a million people? But the, the problem with that was that if you draw a million people— but 400,000 of them are, are 16-year-old kids who are down there and are going to be causing trouble and trying to figure out a way to illegally buy beer, that, that, that spoils the, the overall experience. So what you want to do is you want to have a sweet spot where there, there's lots of people that are there, but that it's not overcrowded. And, you know, the, the people that are there are, are of, of age so they can buy beer and all that sort of things and they can spend money. So there's this kind of sweet spot with, with the balancing. But the truth is attendance has been going down. Now, there's, there's lots of reasons why attendance 
you know, goes down. In particular, over the last couple of years, you know, COVID rocked the entire entertainment industry. So you had the one year where Summerfest was canceled. You had a next year where Summerfest came back in the, the three-day, three-week format that they use now. But it was in September. And, and that, it, it wasn't particularly well attended, but they really just wanted to have a festival there. Last year, you had this three-day over the three-week um, schedule that they used. And, I mean, attendance, I, I don't think attendance, attendance was disappointing. I think that would be fair to say. But at the same time, it's tough to judge because you're still, there was, there's still a COVID hangover. At least I think last year, the, the big events were still kind of getting over the pandemic and there were still people who weren't comfortable going out, et cetera. That's pretty much gone now. So I think this year is going to be a very, very good indicator on whether this format, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, over three consecutive weekends, I think this year is going to be a good indicator of whether or not this format is something that's worth keeping going forward or whether it makes more sense to go back to the formula that they were using five years ago where, you know, we start on a Wednesday, we go to Sunday, take Monday off, and then come back Tuesday through the following Sunday. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. There are arguments you can make in favor or against either one of those, those two formats. My question is, which one do you think Summerfest should a- adopt? Should they continue with the current mode? Okay, we're going to just pack lots of entertainment in Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday are the days that, you know, people tend to go out more. You know, it, I mean, Mondays have always been tough. Talk to restaurateurs. Talk to, you know, anybody. Talk to talk to the brewers. You know, their, their Monday night crowds are almost always going to be a lot lower than their, their Friday night crowds. That's just the reality. You know, people tend to go out more on weekends or it's close to weekends. Thursday, Friday, Saturday are the nights that more people tend to go out because you don't have work the next day, things like that. 855-616-1620. What is the format that you think Summerfest should use moving forward? Three days, three weeks, or the old format? What would you prefer? 855-616-1620. We discuss. And by the way, um, 12.08 tomorrow, I'm scheduled to be joined by Summerfest CEO Don Smiley. This is his last year in charge of the festival, and I'm going to ask him that question too. But give me some ideas as to where you stand for when I talk to Don. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. See, I absolutely love Summerfest, and I I think it's a local treasure. And it, right now, I mean, do I think Summerfest is in danger of folding? No, but it, but it's a it, it's an interesting time because they're going to have to make some decisions. And one of those decisions, and from what I'm being told by lots of people in the know, is that it's very much up in the air moving forward. Do they continue with the current three-day, three-weekend format, or do they consider going back to the more traditional format that they use? And there's advantages to all. I guess the question becomes, What's, what is what do people like the best? What is best for the vendors? What's best for attendees? H- how do you and you can make arguments both ways? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Steve in Oak Creek. Steve, good morning. Good morning, and I like the current format. The the uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I just wish they would add Sunday so that it was twelve days over three weekends rather than uh, the nine days. Would you rather have Sunday than Wednesday? 
Yes. Okay. Right. Because I, I mean, think that's better for families. Well, that, that's true. During, right. Oh, good point. I mean, during the day, I guess I was thinking about, see, I'm thinking about the attendance at night, which is where their, their numbers kind of really go up. And, you know, Sunday night shows, you got to get ready for work on Monday for those people who are working. But you like this new format better than the old one. Yes, just because it gives more opportunity over that over those three weekends to attend, and and uh, but again, wish they would add Sunday so it's twelve days over three weekends rather than nine. Got it. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I live in Pewaukee. I've never missed the Summerfest. I frankly don't care for this format, and I also really miss the freeway uh, flyers. Jeff, I liked going on a Tuesday or Wednesday specifically to avoid the huge crowds. We went on a Friday last year, and the crowds were horrendous. We could barely move when trying to leave and we were in standstill traffic for an hour would absolutely not go back in those conditions i think you should spread it out see that that's interesting and i guess the the texture doesn't tell me what time that they ended up going going down to, to there because as somebody who's down there on the weekdays i'm down there thursday and friday uh typically at least during the the afternoons it's not that crowded. Um, there, there's plenty of spaces to walk around. Um, now, I don't know what it's like on Saturday afternoon, and I certainly, you know, the, you're talking about Friday or Saturday evenings, you're going to have crowds, but at the same time, you're always going to have uh, those crowds. Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? Good. What would you prefer? I, I definitely like the old format. Um, I'm still going to attend. I'm a big Summerfest fan like you are. I, I too, miss the, the weekday days. The, the Wednesday afternoons, the Tuesday afternoons, where you could go and see maybe smaller acts on the smaller stages, some local acts that you might not get a chance to see otherwise. And Sunday Sundays were one of my favorite days to go down there. Um, I would love to see Sundays come back. And I, one other thing is, it's not only an increase of one weekend, but that's three full weekends for those of us that don't like to miss Summerfest yeah. that are taken up out of the summer, and that's a lot. Yeah, it is. I mean, right now, thanks to call that you you make a you make a very very good point that by doing it over three weekends for people who are going to be quote unquote regulars, it's it's a bigger commitment. I, I think over the three weekends, it makes it more. It makes it less like a continuous festival, and it makes it more like. Okay, we, we've got a series of concerts that are strung together, you know, and it's I, and I, I know that there were people who who came down and, and would go to like Summerfest every day. I think there were people from out of town who would come in and, and just like stay for, for several days going to Summerfest repeatedly. And it's tougher to do that now. Um so you you can make that kind of argument. It does. There, I do think there is a different feel to it. And I'm not taking a position on this one way or the other. I think, you know, you have to look at things like attendance and revenue and things like this. And and I'm going to go to Summerfest regardless. But there, there's no question that the feeling of Summerfest with the, the three days over three weekends is a different sort of feeling than in the old days. Now, that might be better. It might be worse. I mean, I think people are going to have to decide that. And I do absolutely agree that... It it's there's so much going on in there's so much going on and I I was I mean I was looking at shows that I want to see and we're going to go see uh, Saturday night we're going to go see James Taylor and uh, Cheryl Crow with with some friends but you know our our weekends tend to fill up 
You know, that, that that's it. And if you wanted to see a bunch of the main stage shows, it's kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go that Saturday night, and then am I going to go back the next Friday, and I'm going to go back the following Friday. Whereas if it's all kind of bunched together, it makes it easier to make that commitment. Um, Jeff, the schedule might be good for local people, but it's certainly not for people that come from out of town and want to spend many days enjoying lots of mu- uh, music, food, and activity. Uh, Jeff, I wish they had Sunday, too. It was a good day to take the family. Jeff, I think I I like the current format. It draws more money compared to having it during the week. Well, that's that's the argument that that may or may not turn out to be true. The The argument is, okay, Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Sundays were not high attendance, high profit days, so you drop those out and you're going to be able to make more money. I, you know, time will tell. Now, obviously, attendance over nine days isn't going to be the same as attendance over attendance over eleven days. So that's that that it's that's kind of like if you try to just look at the raw numbers. However many people Summerfest draws this year versus how many people it drew three or four or five years ago. That that's not going to be apples and oranges. But you do have to look at other things like revenue as well. And and seriously, this is I, this is one I, I tell you, Summerfest officials really do want to. I think here from what what people's experience is because at the end of the day this is a festival that depends on the vendors it depends on support from people in the community and of course people from outside the community and they really i think sincerely want to figure out how to get it right and what the best format is and this is going to be one of the years where i think there's a lot of hard assessment assuming assuming the weather doesn't go to you know where assuming the weather is good think it's going to be an indicator, okay, what were what was attendance? And are people coming out Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays? And is there is there continued momentum for this? And are people spending money? Because at the end of the day, that's kind of where it's all about. But regardless, one thing I can guarantee you, Thursday and Friday, all three weeks, with the exception of one day, my show's going to be originating from down there. So if you happen to be at the lakefront during the day, stop by and say hello. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. A lot of a lot of feedback on our text line. I would say 70-30 people preferring the eleven day format. But again, it, you, I'm not sure the three days three weekend format has really had a, a fair chance yet. Um, like I say, th- this will be the first year with Summerfest where it, it's really we're, we're past the pandemic. People are going out. And you've got a really good lineup, and hopefully the weather will be good as well. Hey, join WTMJ Sandy Max and the American Red Cross for our WTMJ Cares event, the Milwaukee County Zoo Blood Drive. Donate blood during the three-day drive Monday, June 26th through Wednesday the 28th to help boost the supply of necessary blood during the shortage. Plus, if you register for this event, receive free zoo admission and tickets to Summerfest. The Summerfest tickets are available while supplies last. For more information,